This is episode 203 of IDRA Class Notes. We continue to use colonization as a way to add to conformity. It's not just the ways in which it impacts our curriculums, it also impacts our students' experiences in school. It impacts policing and schooling. It impacts the ways in which students are reprimanded in school. All of these things are truly colonial foundations. And so our students of color are essentially being forced into assimilationist views because we're not even having access to people's histories and people's experiences other than the westernized norm. Welcome to IDRA's Class Notes podcast. I am Dr. Stephanie Garcia, an IDRA education associate, and I'm here with my colleague, IDRA's data scientist, Dr. Bricio Vasquez. Today, you will hear from our guests, Dr. Lisbeth Tinoco and Dr. Alexa Prophet on challenging colonialism in the classroom. Thank you, Stephanie. So challenging colonialism in the classroom has been something that has been of interest to me for a while, and I'm really excited to learn more about what that means from two experts in the field. So if you've ever wondered why we learn certain things in history class and why we learn certain events but not others, and if you've ever wondered why maybe students of color are not always represented in the curriculum, this might be why. So we have today two experts in this field, and we are so happy to have them. So I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Prophet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited uh, to have this conversation with you. I am a former middle school teacher here in San Antonio. And as a middle school teacher, I was able to kind of see firsthand the ways in which colonization was really impacting the educational experiences of my kids. And so me having that experience as a classroom teacher and then being able to do my PhD in researching this has really kind of impacted the ways in which we see how we prepare our teachers to be in the classroom and also the ways in which challenging colonialism can fundamentally change the ways in which we educate students in K through 12 in our environments. And we also have with us Dr. Lizbeth Tinoco, who's an assistant professor of rhetoric and composition at Texas A&M University, San Antonio. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to learn from all of you all. My trajectory to this topic hasn't been very straightforward. It mostly developed during my time in graduate school when I was doing research on writing program administration, specifically at two-year colleges. I started to notice how oftentimes many first-year composition programs would ask students to write or mimic certain genres that wouldn't really give them the opportunity to leverage like their cultural and linguistic assets. And then I started doing more work with writing program administration, how assessments, so such as placement exams and rubrics used in the classroom, like were not culturally, contextually, or socially responsive to um, a lot of the students at serving institutions with a lot of like first-gen, bilingual, Latinx um, student body populations. You know, so it was through teaching, writing courses, and being in grad courses that I started to realize that much of my discipline's work is like really, really, really deeply rooted in Eurocentric ideologies. And then readings on decolonial rhetorics were kind of sprinkled in, intermixed, but it wasn't always a huge topic of discussion. But again, I didn't really come to this topic until I started doing a little bit more research on anti-racist writing assessment. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. Now that we all know a little bit more about your background and experiences, from your perspective, what is colonialism in the contemporary classroom? 
So thinking about colonialism, we kind of have to understand the environment that we're currently in. The United States is an example of, of a settler colonial society in which the foundations of settler colonization have impacted the creation of all of our institutions in the United States and are embedded throughout all of those institutions. Dolores Cabron talks a lot about this idea of like colonial model of education in which essentially our educational system has been the ways in which we've been able to reinforce colonization and the embeddedness of colonization in all of our classroom spaces. And so when we think about that, we think about the ways in which, as Dr. Tinoco mentioned, like the westernization as being the end-all be-all of where knowledge comes from. And if we're not using Western perspectives, then it's not seen as valuable knowledge, but also the ways in which we choose to have colonial blindness as a ways in which we don't even recognize colonization as the foundation of all of these institutions that have created marginalizations and oppressions in our spaces. And so when we think about the origins really of colonization, we can trace all the ways in which inequities have manifested in our spaces to colonization and the erasure of indigenous peoples, the erasure of people of color within our histories and our teachings. And so when we think about colonization in the classroom, truly we see colonization manifesting in the ways in which we don't talk about the origins of oppressions, nor the ways in which we can challenge them, and the ways in which indigenous and people of color have been challenged colonization since the beginning of time. But a settler colonial tool is really for us to not have those conversations, for us to kind of pretend as though those experiences didn't exist as a way to continue to allow colonizations to manifest in those educational spaces. Dr. Tinoco, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is a really great question, and I think Dr. Prophet has answered it and explained it um, really well. I think colonialism is, like, deeply seeped into our educational system. I think part of doing, like, decolonial or anti-colonial work um, means, like, rebuilding an education system that supports all students, like teachers and staff working within those systems. But I think it's also important for, especially within my research or writing program administration, to take a look at, like, systems and policies that need to be responsive to students' needs in the context within which students are working in. Writing studies as a discipline has like a history of remediation, like meaning that if like a white male student wasn't writing in academic English as expected by the institution, they were asked to take like grammar courses. So as a result, like writing studies, like rhetoric and composition studies um, often gets taught by asking students to reproduce like certain genres that use standard academic English and a leading scholar in my field, Asao B. Anyway, talks a lot about um, anti-racist writing assessment within writing studies and just really discusses how the language that we use to respond to students' writing are always implicit justifications of our curriculums, like Eurocentricism in itself are like violent reaffirmations of white language supremacy. So those are kind of the frameworks that I'm working around in terms of this particular topic. That's all really interesting. Now, as a non-expert, one of the things that I'm wondering is how do all of these structures disadvantage certain students, specifically non-white students? So when we think about our students of color in our educational spaces, we really think about the ways in which colonization leads to erasure. So if you are an indigenous student or student of color in your space, our colonial model of education has made it so as though your histories and your people's histories are not embedded within the foundations of the curriculum in your spaces. They're sprinkled extras that are put into your educational experience, but they're not the foundation of where knowledge is being honored in those spaces. And we also think about the ways in which we continue to use colonization as a way to add to conformity. And so when we think about it's not just the ways in which it impacts our curriculums, it also impacts 
our students' experiences in school. It impacts policing and schooling. It impacts the ways in which students are reprimanded in school. All of these things are truly colonial foundations. And so our students of color are essentially being forced into assimilationist views through settler colonization. But this is becoming the de facto situation in general because we're not even having access to people's histories and people's experiences other than the westernized norm. And what are your thoughts about this question, Dr. Tinoco? I think Dr. Prophet, again, had a really great explanation. Um, I think the education system was not built for students of color. I think within writing studies and within writing programs, like one of the things that we have to grapple with is how we're inflicting violence and colonialism on our students of color. And by violence, I mean like all of the trauma that writing instructors or writing teachers like inflict on students, like when we mark a student's paper with like tons of red ink or green ink or whatever, whatever color ink we decide to use. But just any of those comments where that we comment on students writing, particular students of color that are using Spanglish that might be using um, Black vernacular, whose writing isn't conforming to like white Eurocentric standards of students, I think students start to develop negative associations about their writing and they shy away from experimenting with their writing because they feel the need to conform to like these colonial standards. I think another thing that we also need to really think about, I think across all disciplines, not just writing studies, is like when we talk about like disciplinary curriculum and pedagogies and best practices, like those are deeply rooted in like white language supremacy because much of our disciplinary training privileges like Eurocentric approaches to um, rhetoric and writing, faculty might be resistant to engaging in like anti-racist and decolonial work. And it's really hard to bring, like have these conversations with faculty, I think in part because of the colorblindness of much of our disciplinary training and also because faculty are sometimes uncomfortable with discussing or accepting like the possibility that they might be responsible for inflicting like a lot of the racialized and colonized harm on um, students of color, even if oftentimes it's unintentional. You both have mentioned implications for educators in K-12 settings as well as higher education faculty, but can you speak a little bit more about why should educators be interested in this concept? So I think now, especially given what's happening and the ways in which our teachers are essentially, even though all of these inequities have been happening for an incredibly long time, teachers are starting to kind of look at themselves and look at their practice in a more critical lens, I think, than they have done in the past, just because it's been so much in their face. And so it's almost kind of like forcing people to be able to look at themselves and their practices. But for really starting to think about the opportunity that we have to reimagine what education looks like right now. Truly, if we look at, if we're wanting to do sustaining pedagogies, responsive pedagogies, critical pedagogies in our spaces, all of those have to look at the foundations of why we need those different types of pedagogies, and we need them because of colonization. Like, colonization truly is the root of these spaces, and so for teachers who are really kind of thinking about how is it that I can examine my own practice in the ways in which I am have been oppressing students, either consciously or subconsciously, how can I look at the roots of where that comes from? You have to start to look at the examining the ways in which colonization has created these spaces for you, whether it be your own experience that you have to unpack, or it'd be the ways in which you were prepared. I particularly look at teacher education. And so for thinking about if we want to imagine a world in which we have an anti-colonial foundation of schooling, we have to look at the preparation of our teachers. And we have to look at the continuing preparation of our teachers. How are we going and saying to a teacher who has been doing this work for 15 years, 
we need to re-examine your practice and your pedagogy and how do we continue to do that work, but also how do we prepare first-year teachers to be able to have this knowledge base so as though when they go into their classrooms, they're not replicating the marginalizations that they experience as, as students themselves. Dr. Tinoka? Yeah, so one of the things that I always remind students in my courses, whether it's like first-year composition, tech writing, or um, graduate courses, is that the tools and the technologies that we use are always infused with cultural values. And I think oftentimes as educators or um, students that are going to go into the educational field, um, we don't see these values because I think oftentimes we assume that, that they're neutral in a sense. You know, I hear about this a lot, especially with working, um, writing across the curriculum with like engineering professors helping them develop their assessment tools for their courses. But I think as educators, it's important for us to think about how policies, grading rubrics, the programs that we develop, our course descriptions also are all designed for some people, like to inherently include some people and exclude other people. And we can't really design or implement something for everyone or a general audience. And I think that's something that we need to think about, but really having real and honest conversations and being more aware of who's being included and who's excluded when we're designing different elements for our programs in our classrooms. And I think the idea, like as educators, this idea of trying to like redress colonial legacies can be really overwhelming work. Um, sometimes it's really difficult to get started or to even think about how writing instructors or um, administrators can do this work. But I think we need to move towards undoing oppression in whatever small ways we can. You know, like we can't take down the entire education system, but changing small pieces of it and being aware of the implications of those small changes, I think, can create a lot of positive energy for students, faculty, and, and the communities that we serve. Absolutely. Thank you so much for both of you, for all of the brilliant remarks you shared and the information. This was a very important start to this conversation. And thank you everybody for listening to today's podcast. You can learn more about IDRA Educator Resources and IDRA EXL at www.idra.org. You can also review this podcast show notes for links and resources that were mentioned today in this podcast or to other related content. Again, thank you to both of our guests and we look forward to continuing this conversation soon. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.